Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, it's like the fashion industry's equivalent of socks with sandals. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from my recording studio built here at my home just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this show. So if you're not, turn it off now. Okay, good. Next. All right, in pipe parts, I am going to uh, continue my answers for the seven experts for uh, uh, the seven questions for seven experts part two. I'll uh, cover two of them in that one. And then my guest is a novice pipe smoker and Canadian Mo Sircon. I had a lot of fun meeting Mo and chatting with him. And then uh, music in honor of Mo, mailbag and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And at the uh, time of recording, I wanted to let you know that um, we have uh, three little baby birds living in our front porch light, and they are doing fine, and they all have feathers now, and they've gone out of that awkward stage, and but they've yet to leave the nest, and we're, uh, we're keeping an eye on that. Uh, but we have uh, three little, uh, I believe they're called English house sparrows or something like that. Uh, all three of them made it. We had three eggs, three babies, and now we have uh, three little birdies and... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm picturing somewhere soon I will have to uh go out there and clean out the mess in there. Uh because one of the problems is since it's a sealed light fixture and they get in from the bottom, built the nest in there, well guess what? It's all full of poop. Uh poop and nest. So I'm gonna have to get up there and clean that out and uh see if I can rescue that light fixture. But anyway, three little baby birds all happy living in there and uh, I walk by the front door and they all look at me and I've interrupted feeding time a couple of times but yeah have not gone out there and smoked a pipe on the front porch because I don't want to disturb them and uh, we don't have chairs out there so there you go all right let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back relax fire up a bowl thank you all for tuning in and here we go This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. And we are back on the world-famous Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, the uh, seven questions for seven experts, part two. Uh, I'm going to answer questions number three and four for me personally here. So question number three was, what is the oldest tobacco you have smoked, and how is your experience with it? We'll start with that. Uh, the oldest tobacco I've smoked is actually a cigarette tobacco, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll skip that. But the oldest known pipe tobaccos that I've smoked have all been either like a uh, uh, like a Capstan or a Craven from the 1950s, and those are very light. Uh, yeah, by that time, by the time I got to smoke them, maybe five years ago at a Chicago pipe show, uh, you know, they were just very soft and subtle, and they were full of sweetness, but soft and subtle. And I'll be honest with you, I got a bowl full of them, so I didn't get to really dig into a tin of it. Uh, it was at the Chicago Pipe Show where, you know, you're smoking everything that everybody else is smoking around you. And I felt like the tobaccos were a little too moist. So in reality, I didn't give them the best effort or give them the best situation. The two that I did actually smoke and really got to know well that are the oldest ones uh, one was a tin of Cope's Escudo that was gifted to me by Mike Butera, and it had to be from uh, the early 70s. And as Mike said, you know, this is what real Escudo is supposed to taste like. 
at the time that I got to try it, uh, I knew the ANC Peterson version of a Scudo and did not know what, uh, what was going to be the current version now. Uh, so I was comparing it against, you know, two to three to five year old ANC Peterson Escudo or this Copes Escudo that had to be 25 to 30 years old at the time I was smoking it. Well, they are two completely different blends, and I was not as impressed with the Copes Escudo because the Perique had smoothed out. It had smoothed out and mild and just rounded out, and I like the Perique punch that Escudo used to really deliver from that. Those old, those ANC Peterson logoed tins. Uh, so it wasn't, it, it's, <laughs> thankfully it saved me some money because I knew that, all right, I really don't like that. And that much age on it just didn't do anything for me. And I did get to smoke the whole tin. Uh, the other tobacco that I got to try that was probably mid 1980s. So at the time I smoked it, it was probably 30 to 35 years old. Uh, it was a tin of uh, Bell's Three Nuns. It was a 100-gram tall boy. I still have the empty tin here. And that tin of tobacco kind of changed my palate. <laughs> Made me think, you know what? Uh, if I could spend a couple hundred dollars on this, you know, that might be worthwhile because that was 25 or 30 bowls full that were just exceptional. And if you can get it to ten bucks a bowl full, well, that's the price of a good cigar. And I started thinking, and I've trust me, I went down the rabbit hole, and I've yet to do it again. But wow, that's all I can say. All right, uh, so those were the tobaccos. Uh, and how has your preference in pipes changed over time? Bent versus straight, large versus small, smooth versus rusticated. Uh, I've documented this uh, and talked about it before a lot. I'll recap it briefly. Uh, in 2009, when I went to work for smokingpipes.com, uh, you know, 99% of my pipes were five and a half to seven inch long Canadian Lovats, uh, mostly rusticated, some smooth, maybe a billiard or two in there, but all straight. And uh, I guarantee you, there might have been, you know, might have been two bents out of a collection of 36. Uh, and over time, well, my collection has changed to where it's probably half of them have some sort of bend to them. Uh, the other half are still in that five to six, six and a half inch long Levat. I still kind of prefer when I'm, especially when I'm looking at a pipe from, you know, that I want to smoke a lot, uh, versus a pipe of occasion i'm still looking at rusticated or sandblasted i prefer i still prefer sandblast or rusticated pipes uh i still find them to be uh I, i'm less nervous when i'm smoking them i'm uh yeah it's more comfortable for me to just you know not worry about having it and accidentally dropping it and scratching a smooth pipe but yeah, I'm still in that so half of my pipes are in that what I call just, you know, the the workhorse smoking range of five inches to six inches, more shank than stem, uh, group four or five in capacity and sandblasted. Uh, but now I do have some bents and I have some bents that are made for occasion and I have some bents that are comfortable for smoking on a regular basis that are in that you know, five, five and a half inch length, but I don't get, uh, I, I just don't pull for them as much. So, um, I've also, uh, you know, I've also been looking around and this may come up in the future question of, uh, yeah, of pipes that have sentimental value, but I wanted more pipes of occasion. So I added some really nice straight grains over the last year or two and i wanted some pipes that were a little more you know a little more elegant so i added a couple more in the last year or two to kind of balance out all the workhorse pipes so yeah you know remember there's pipes of occasion there's pipes of uh of regular smoking rotation and you need different sizes for different tobaccos so that's what i did i balanced it out i think i've got a pretty good selection right now so not really looking for any pipes at the moment all right I uh, hope you enjoyed that. And in just a moment, my discussion with Mo Sirkan. This is Internet Radio. 
The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us for another seven questions with a novice pipe smoker. And Mo, I feel like I've known you forever because you and I have emailed back and forth and we've, it seems like you've been, you know, just, I don't know. I was surprised when you answered this, but uh, from Canada, Mo Sircon, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, I feel like I know you as well. It's uh, it's kind of funny to finally uh, meet you face to face, even yeah. if it's over uh, a video chat. And and that's pretty good because you must not have eaten because you didn't throw up. So um, <laughs> all's good. All's good. Yeah. All right. So let's get to know your uh, where where'd you grow up? When did you grow up? Have you grown up? And uh, when did you start smoking a pipe? Sure. Well, uh, what I'll do is I'll try. I'll try to as much as possible keep this to pipe smoking kind of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I, I now live in Calgary, uh, Alberta, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I grew up a small town prairie boy in the province of Saskatchewan. Um, my first pipe, uh, exposure to pipe smoking was my mother's cousin who smoked a pipe, and he lived out in Winnipeg, and we'd go with our family out and visit him. And uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he was smoking Captain Black or Lane One Q. It smelled so nice to a six-year-old boy. So you know, I, I remember asking him if I could uh, try his pipe, and my parents approved. So you know, it burned like crazy, and it my mouth tasted like an ashtray, and everybody laughed, and my folks thought that that would cure me of the notion to smoke. And, and for a bunch of years, you know, I suppose they're actually right. Um, you know, fast forward 15 years or so to my first professional job in IT sales. I lived in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan at the time, and we traveled every week to Regina, you know, the capital city, and that's where most of my clients were. Well, there's not a lot to do in the evenings in Regina. So a number of other outside traveling sales guys and I who got to know each other, we began to meet up at a local cigar lounge and smoke cigars and drink scotch. This is back in the days when we could still do that. Yeah. Um, you know, those are some pretty good times. And I remember smoking a cigar for the two and a half hour car ride home, uh, driving with the window cracked. And Brian, you know, it had to have been minus 30 at the time. And <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, I've got enough vices. Do I really need another right now? And I rolled the window down, threw the cigar out. And, you know, that was that. So, you know, fast forward another 25 years. And I turned 49 and I started my 50th trip around the, around the sun. And, you know, my kids are mostly grown and my career is developed and every day pretty much seemed like the last one. So I needed something new. I needed a hobby. And over Christmas, my family and I visited Palm Springs to get away from the cold a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we were walking around doing some window shopping when we passed the tobacconist and I had to pop in. Now I'm pretty sure that everyone on this, you know, listening to this show knows what it's like when you walk into a nice tobacco shop and things just click, right? Yeah. The smells, the old world decor, uh, the warmth of the people and the patrons there, you know, the pipes displayed like little jewels. You know, I only spent about 10 minutes in there looking around, but from that moment on, you know, my interest was captured. <laughs> so I made a point to, uh, to research pipe smoking, and that led me to finding the YouTube pipe community. Uh, I must have watched 300 hours or more of videos mm -hmm. from people like, Mutton Chop Piper, who you had on the show back in, I think it was 2017. Yeah. Uh, John Harding, Matches 860. Yeah. Uh, the Mayor, Derek Tan, Tom, Northwest Pipe Smoker, the Bremen Pipe Smoker. Those are all my favorites. And, you know, the whole subculture and somewhat of a counterculture really drew me in big time. So by the time I, I bought my first 
pipe on eBay. I knew the difference between aromatics, English blends and vapors. I knew about tongue bite, about sipping instead of puffing, you know, how and why to use a tamper and how to pack a bowl. My first tobacco purchase was online and it consisted of Dunhill, McClellan, Orlick, Seattle Pipeline, uh, <laughs> Pipe Club, and McFerrin Pipe Tobaccos. So yeah, I was hooked on the hobby before I even smoked my first pipe, and I came into it with a full-on tobacco and pipe acquisition disorder. So, you know, <laughs> I'm just a few years in. I'm coming up to three years, and I've already got a few dozen pipes. I've purchased almost 70 different blends to try. My cellar is really coming along as well. My wife thinks I'm absolutely crazy. Um, you know, and, and oh, and early in that first year, I found the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh-oh, yeah. And, uh-oh. And over that summer, I binged on four to six episodes each day. And, you know, <laughs> I've also found an online Canadian pipe forum, which is a subset of the Canadian Cigar Forum. And I started sharing with others online. Um, and I just want to make a shout out to Ontario Piper, Cold Smoke, Andy, and Biker Mark, who are regulars posting on this site. So I'm going to make sure that they listen to your radio show because yeah. I've mentioned them now. Uh, so, you know, Brian, I, I keep a detailed journey journal of everything I buy along with separate files for tasting notes and seller contents and quantities. I keep a photo log. It goes on and on. For me, it's all part of this pipe smoking hobby and mm-hmm. I'm head over heels for it. So the, so the IT geek computer nerd guy in you took over and you did a whole bunch of research and you, you were in, you were a beta pipe smoker before you launched into, into the alpha program. That's exactly right. In fact, that's the way I, I approached my photography hobby as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I read tons about it and then I bought, you know, very fancy, expensive Nikon cameras and equipment, and I was going to get ready. And then I found out that I really like reading about it more than mm-hmm. going outside, traipsing around the mountains and taking pictures of things. So uh, that that hobby kind of fell flat, but uh, you know the investment was there as well. Um, but for the pipe smoking, it uh, it seems to have uh, have carried me through. Now, with the weather where you live, do you get a chance? I mean, do you do you get a chance to smoke a pipe at least every day or so? Do you have a? Did you build yourself an indoor smoking room? I, I have not yet. Um, I'm actually working on that right now. I've got a man cave uh, out at the cottage here, at the top of the garage that I'm getting outfitted. Um, but I will. I, I, if you look on the forums, you will find pictures of me with a big fur hat and a scarf around my neck and a <laughs> and a, a downfilled jacket and you know a bright red nose from the cold and the wind and a pipe in my teeth. And I do try to get out once a day at least. Um, you know, there will be a few stretches in the winter where it just will be so miserable it isn't worth it. But uh, yeah, I've I've, uh, I've been pretty good at uh, at carving out the time each day to to enjoy a pipe on the days when it's too cold to go outside do you oftentimes find yourself just kind of picking up your pipes and going through them and picking up the tobaccos and smelling them and playing with them exactly those are cleaning days pipe cleaning days so i'll sit down and i'll clean through my pipes Uh, i'll catch up with a whole bunch of youtube videos so i'll still get my pipe fix i just won't uh, be able to smoke a pipe but i'll you know open up a new tin and and give it a good sniff and you know, jar it or maybe look it up on the uh, tobaccoreviews.com and see what others think about it and, you know, kind of get an idea as to what's coming. Yeah. So even though you don't get to smoke your toys, you still get to play with them and, uh, and look at them and get a, and get a sense of the tobaccos. hundred percent. You know, the smoking of the pipes is truly enjoyable, but it is only one part of the hobby. I enjoy everything. I enjoy the collecting aspect of it. Um, you know, as I said, my seller's coming along, um, a lot of those Seattle Pipe Club tins, uh, you know, they're kind of cardboard on the outside and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I carefully peel the labels off and I get this foil tape and I put it all around and then I put the labels back on again <laughs> uh, so that it, it really seals it really well just in case because over the years I'm, you know, here in Canada, it, you know, well, you know, Brian, I mean, it's it's uh, not only is it expensive to buy pipe tobacco out here, but, you know, the I'm not sure what the future holds for us. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself set up so that I don't have to worry about it once I retire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, 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 uh, your tobacco, if you get tobacco up there, that's pretty much like Klondike gold. So. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And you don't have a lot to choose from a lot of cases. No, Well, let's get into your questions. Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. So question number one, 
um, which is kind of going to be odd for you because you did all the work beforehand, but you survived getting started smoking a pipe. So what was your aha moment that got you past the trial period? Absolutely. So as I mentioned before, you know, I, I, I did thoroughly research before beginning. So, um, you know, knowing and doing are two different things, right, Brian? Yeah. So that, that said, the mechanics of pa packing and puffing and tamping, they went re reasonably well for me, but my palate was completely untrained. Everything tasted the same to me at first, like tobacco. <laughs> and, and that's when I began researching the blends that I was smoking on tobacco reviews, um, you know, trying to find and suss out the flavors that the reviewers were experiencing. So my aha moment wasn't really a single event, but really more of a process. It's almost like training your brain to remove the consistent taste of tobacco so that you can taste all the differences between the blends. And, and that more than anything has made the biggest difference to me in how I enjoy my tobacco. So what were you looking for in those reviews? Were you looking for hints of what you should be picking up and then try to imagine them in there? Yeah, that's exactly right. I would I would look at a number of them. Um, I'd always look at Jim Inks, again, mm -hmm. one of your uh, past guests. Um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, he's very consistent. He's in there a lot. So you can kind of get yeah. a sense of things uh, from that, some consistency between the different blends and how he reviews them. But I'd also look at two or three or four others and see, okay, what are they consistently saying? What are, what are they all kind of feeling? So that when I was actually smoking it for the first time, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to suss those things out. And am I getting it? Am I not getting it and you know am i puffing too fast do i need to use a different size bowl all those kinds of things to try and kind of see those and it's funny it's kind of like learning a new language where you know nothing makes sense and then almost you don't know when it exactly happened but boom all of a sudden everything kind of falls into place and yeah. now you can you know you can taste this and you can taste that and you know uh, even on the you know the aromatics and stuff which some of them are pretty overtly obvious at least when you start until it burns off but uh um you know it, it's one of those things that when you when you first start and i think that's probably in my case the biggest hurdle to overcome is that um you know it, everything kind of tasted the same and i was like uh oh you know did i just invest all the, all, the, <laughs> all this tobacco and all these pipes and stuff i think i had three pipes before i actually smoked one of them like it, like i like i said I, I bought into it whole hog <laughs> that's a perfect place for us to take a break when we come back we'll have more with mo so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute a savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations for over 150 years savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with, uh, with Canada's Mo Sircon. Mo, I'm, I'm having a ball with this because you've said stuff that has, uh, you know, and, and again, the fascination for me of the, of doing this podcast and is every time I hear something new. So yeah, congratulations. You've already said something new and we're only, uh, we're only into the first part of it, but, uh, here's your second question. What tobaccos did you try based on a recommendation that you did not like? Right, right. Well, I'm, I'm pretty forgiving when it comes to the various styles. I, I can usually find something to appreciate in almost any blended, mm -hmm. but two in particular come to mind. Um, one was a recommendation from my local tobacconist. She had me smell a sample of Solani Sweet Mystery, which to me smelled like pineapple cake, like mm. completely mouthwatering. I was so excited to try it, but I found that, you know, after the flavor burned off, you know, it was left what was left was pretty, you know, boring and average and it tended to burn really hot and moist. So it, it, it wasn't one of my <laughs> favorites, that's for sure. Um, and the other example, um, which wasn't so much a recommendation, but it's the, fr the favorite of Bradley from Stuffing Things on the YTPC. Mm -hmm. And that's Elizabethan mixture. Now, Brian, I still don't know why vapors are one of my go-to styles. Everything suggests that I should love it, but I don't. And I really, really 
don't care much for it. I can get through a bowl of it, but it's a lot of work to do so. Now, Brad was a previous uh, cigarette smoker, um, and I never was. So maybe there's something in Elizabethan mester that uh, appeals to him on that level. But for my taste, it just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, or maybe it's just you and you and Parikh don't get along. Well, I, I love uh, luxury bullseye flake. I love escudo. Um, like I said, there it, it just seems like something I should like, but hey, I don't. Doesn't work for you. A, doesn't work for me. Good thing is there's many other blends to try. Uh, exactly right. Question number three: How has your preference in pipes changed over time? Like bent versus straight, or large, small, smooth, rusticated. Um, I don't know, Eskimo or, uh, or Igloo. Yeah, it should be those for, for a Canadian, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, <clears throat> actually, you know, I own a few dozen pipes already. And uh, admittedly, you know, very few are artisan high-end pipes, except for four or five that I bought as estates. Um, but I, I think my pipe journey has still got a long way to go. You know, that way, uh, that said, I, I still, I've made some progress. Um, when I first started out, I was very interested in church wardens. My very first pipe was a Peterson church warden that in a print shape that I bought on eBay. Um, and of course I had to buy a Gandalf pipe, right? Yeah. Uh, but I quickly got over those as they were just so unwieldy and, and a bit of a pain to clean. So I immediately went to nose warmers and uh, I quickly ruled those out as well as I always felt that the smoke was in my face or in my eyes all the time. So I ruled out the very long and the very short pipes and, you know, now I typically look for pipes in the range of four and three quarters inches to six inches in length. Uh-huh. And uh, I also like the looks when I first started at the straight billiards, and I've got a number of those. However, over time, I found that even a slight bend is a little more comfortable. Uh, I'm a clencher, and I like the feel of a quarter yeah. bent or even an eight bent pipe between my teeth. Yeah, and um, I guess if you're if you're outside and it's, uh, you know, minus no 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 i'm not going out and you're out there in it you want something that you're that you can hold in your teeth because your hands are busy holding a drink and a hand hand warmers and gloves on and all that yeah i got my hands in my gloves and i'm sitting on them trying to keep them warm so yeah. so yeah i got it between my teeth and i've gotten pretty good at keeping them lit that way yeah so um sometimes yeah, and, and I, yeah. sorry go ahead no i mean sometimes the uh, the environment that we're in kind of will educate you on what you should be smoking well, for sure. And, and uh, you know, that probably has a lot to do with you. You talk about, uh, you know, different seasons needing different blends and that yeah. kind of a thing. Well, you know, winter is one of those things where for me, it, you know, it needs certain pipes uh, that uh, that keep going. For the most part, if it's really cold, I'm not taking one of my briars out anyways. I'll smoke a cob and, and mm-hmm. that'll be that because I don't want to take any chances with them. Yeah, and your winter is about, oh, I don't know, eight, nine, ten months long. So Yeah, and summers are really short. Last year... Last year, though, they're beautiful, but last year, I think it was on a Thursday. <laughs> and you were at work and missed it. <laughs> That's right. Had to look at it through the window. Yeah. All right. Your next question is, uh, what was your Holy Grail pipe when you started smoking a pipe, and what is it now? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I really thought I wanted a church warden, and you know, now I rarely smoke one. Um, my Holy Grail pipe now, one that I'm always keeping an eye open for, is a peewit with the you know peewit shape with the mm-hmm. dark bamboo stem. Um, I, I fell in love with the shape when I saw Sixton Everson's sketch and photos of some of his pipes. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of white bamboo, but I absolutely love the darker varieties. Um, you know, so I, I know that the depth of the bowl in that shape is likely going to be a bit shallow for my taste, but I'm willing to make the exception if I can find a nice pipe in that style. Recently, I, I picked up a Julius Vez pipe in his teardrop shape. Yeah. And it's somewhat reminiscent of the Peewit. Um, and even though it's brand new, it's one of my favorite go-to smokers already. Yeah. And that, uh, I mean, Sixton came up with, you know, before him, every pipe was basically a straight or a bent billiard bulldog, whatever is the classical shapes. And then he started going outside of the, yeah, outside of the mold and that Peewit, you know, or it looks like a little potato sack sometimes hanging on the end of a, of a shank there. So, yeah. All right, your next question is, uh, what are a few of your favorite guests from past episodes and why? Okay, Um, so there's a couple of genres that really grab my interest. So first, any guests 
that share, you know, what the industry or the hobby was like in the good old days. Yeah. Absolutely love those episodes. So Mike and Mary McNeil, wonderful guests, could listen to them for hours. The same goes for Pear George Jensen, uh, Ken Johnson from the Rothmans in England, even like Linwood Hines and the like, you know, I just love the history aspect of the hobby. Um, I also do a lot of reading besides collecting pipes and tobaccos and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, these people have lived it. So those are really special episodes for me when you, when you bring someone on who can, who can talk about how it was back then. Um, And then secondly, you know, I find that, you know, the guests that are passionate collectors are really interesting to me to listen to as well. So, you know, Rich Esserman, Fred Hanna, uh, Ben Rappaport, Rick Newcomb, you know, I've always learned a lot about their areas of interest as they share what captures their attention. And they typically know an awful lot about what it is that they collect. So Mm -hmm. it's fun to hear someone who's excited about something talking about their passion. Well, and you're a bit of a researcher and uh, an investigator. And these guys, part of the reason why they've been in the hobby for so long and written so many of the books that they've done and is because they like the research and the investigation. Yeah, I haven't picked up a Rappaport book yet, uh, but I did read uh, several of the others already. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I wish there was more history to get, but, uh, uh, you know, it's just hard to find those hard to find those guys. Uh, well, your, your, your Pipes Magazine radio show archive is going to be the history of pipes in, in 10 or 15 years. And, that's, and the only reason is because I can't write, so I figured I may as well record these stories. <laughs> Your next question is, what is your favorite thing to do while smoking a pipe? Sure. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not an indoor smoker, mm-hmm. or at least not yet. i got to build that, <laughs> that yes. man cave. Um, so, typically, I, I, I try and find a warm spot outside out of the wind. And, you know, I, I might just watch the world go by while I puff on my pipe, but I'll, I'll also listen to a podcast or music. Um, but my favorite thing to do, though, is is to read a good book. And there's nothing like getting lost in a good story and working my way through <clears throat> a pipe or two. Yeah. Uh, have you found yourself sometimes in the winter time taking the book and going in the car and starting the car and sitting in there with the pipe and the book? I, I've yet to do that. In the winter, what I will do is I'll put the earbuds in, uh, the Bluetooth earbuds, and I'll, I'll put my iPod inside my big downfilled coat, and I'll just listen and, and sit out there. And like I said, if I can get out of the wind, and you know the sun's pretty low, but uh, if you can get it beating straight on you and you're out of the wind, you can kind of make your own warm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, and then you can watch the reindeer walk by as they're practicing for Santa's ride in the, in a, in the wintertime. Well, out at our cottage here, we we get uh, deer coming by all the time, and and uh, and you know squirrels galore, and partridges, and all kinds of things that uh, that's coming through. And even one year we had a uh, a bear come to visit on Father's Day, so that was kind of a Ooh. an interesting to to have happen. Came right up to our doors and stood on its back paws and looked right in the window at uh, my wife and my daughter. I came around the corner, snapped the picture. I'll have to send you a copy of it. It's uh, <laughs> it's something else. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, never mind. I would. I would have had to have changed my pants. Um, your next question is for me. You get to ask me anything you want to know. Okay. So now I'd love to have a pipe club physically to attend here in Calgary, but to the best of my knowledge, there isn't one. Um, you know, and it may just be that. I'll have to start one myself. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give me about getting a pipe club off the ground? Be, well, first of all, be consistent. Uh, you know, finding the people, the internet's a wonderful place. You can do postings on the internet and chat rooms and groups and forums and stuff like that. Post everywhere you can because you never know where those guys might be lurking. So Facebook groups, you know, just post everywhere you can. And then set a date of the month and be absolutely consistent with that date of the month every every month. Um, our pipe club here in the Charlotte area, we're the third Sunday of each month. And it's just consistently the third Sunday, you know, when... When we, when things are more normal, it's the third Sunday of every month, and it's just consistent, and that's the date. And not everybody can make it every time, but the consistency really helps. And you got to keep pushing the word out there, and keep pushing, and keep pushing. 
Um, for you with where you are, I would probably not be, um, I'd probably be open to inviting cigar guys too. Uh, and that way you expand the amount of smokers because you're in a, yeah, you're in a fairly small area, a small population, but even worse, it's Canada where, you know, smokers are rarer than hen's teeth. That's a big deal. And, and as you mentioned earlier, it's cool, very cold in the winter and, and finding an indoor, indoor venue is next mm -hmm. to impossible. Um, you know, I'm thinking that maybe, you know, a, a First Nations casino that's, that's you know, on, on a reserve where, where, you know, the different rules apply, there might be some opportunity there. But, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big stumbling block for us here in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to find it. You got to find a place that'll let you have a table or two. Uh, you got to find a place where it's as convenient as possible for everybody. Um, I would also make sure that everybody knows that, hey, if you, you know, we don't care what kind of pipes you have or how many you have. If you want to come and hang out and smoke a pipe with us, come on. And there might be different tobaccos to try. Because I think one of the best things that happens at a pipe club meeting is, you know, people bring four or five different tobaccos and have them open and just set them out for everybody to try. And then you get a chance to taste test stuff without you know spending a spending a fortune on 50 grams of it up there in canada or uh you know trying to get it across the border i'm not For saying sure. i'm not saying that happens often but you know <laughs> um but yeah i would just say just you know be consistent keep pushing the message out keep pushing the message out find that location and then just be as open and inviting as possible and say hey yeah you got one pipe you can come yeah that sounds really good. Oh, <clears throat> I had heard that there was a, a club charter template kicking around the internet someplace. Is that is that something that's really important to to have a, a strong charter in place? I don't think so. Unless you're going to start charging dues or you're going to start doing a show, I would just say, you know, hey, look, if, you know, if the if the place that you're meeting in wants somebody to come in and at least buy two drinks, just tell people. You know, when you show up, you got to buy two drinks, but the minute you start getting money involved, then, you know, that's some of the bigger pipe clubs in the U S yeah, they've got charters and they've got their registrations and checking accounts and dues, and they've got a treasurer and you got to go through all that. You know, thank you. Thank you so much to the people of the Chicago pipe club that put on the show and all that work and the West coast pipe show and all those show organizers. But boy, that becomes a part-time job real quick for somebody. So just keep it simple is what you're saying. Yeah. I would say for now, just keep it simple and, uh, and just try to get people to come. And if you get eight, 10 people on a regular basis, you're doing great. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it would probably be yeah. the biggest pipe club meeting in Canada outside of Michael Parks' garage when he does that <laughs> annual thing. So, that's probably true. Yeah, and for you, you can't really swing by Toronto because that's you know half a continent away from you. So yeah, it's about a four day drive, five yeah. day drive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the fastest way is through the U.S. So you're in trouble. True enough. Mo, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I am ready. What is your favorite pipe? Uh, so by shape, it would have to be an eighth bent billiard in a bowl size that's about three or four. Uh, but the one that I reached for um, most would be that teardrop-shaped Julius Vez pipe um, or just one of my cobs for the sake of convenience if I'm puttering around the, the yard. And what is your favorite tobacco? Uh, favorite tobacco. So of, the la of those fast five questions, it's probably the hardest for me. Mm -hmm. um, I can find, as I said before, enjoyment in pretty much any tobacco. Um, so I thought I'd break it down to a few categories, but I will keep it short, I promise. Um, <laughs> as far as a cut go, I prefer flake or broken flake because they're pretty versatile. You can rub them out if you want to, or you can you know fold them and stuff them. But they tend to hold moisture a bit better than a ribbon, which is important in Calgary as it's semi-arid out here. Yeah. Um, as far as a type goes, um, I, I really like the Oriental forward blends. I find that I reach for that more often than not. Um, you know, I find that you know they typically have more complexity and more interest for me, and I like that musty sweet sour taste that you get with some of those blends. 
But uh, as for a specific blend, uh, it really changes from day to day depending on what I feel like. Lately, I've been really enjoying Robert McConnell's Scottish Flake. It's really hard to come by. Um, one of the online retailers got some in inventory and I stocked up, so I should be good for a couple years anyways. Just keep it nice and moist. Don't let That's it right. sit outside. Uh, what is your favorite drink? Uh, non-alcoholic would be coffee. Alcoholic would be whiskey, probably bourbon over scotch. That's interesting because neither one of those I would really think would go well with the Orientals. I would have kind of expected you more of a tea person or a uh, or a scotch. I, I don't mind tea and I, I don't mind scotch, but uh, I don't know. Uh, my, my buddy... Uh, who is the only uh, pipe smoker that I know that does come over from time to time um, is a uh, is a big Scotch and bourbon drinker as well. So we like to uh, to tear into a bottle every once in a while. And when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Yeah, three way tie. So if it's with my family, uh, relaxing, it's a movie. Uh, driving or putzing around, it's music. And with a pipe, it's a book. And then finally. A favorite pipe smoking related memory. Sure. So, uh, you know, you often hear how lonely it is to be a pipe smoker. And yeah. here in Canada, you know, we're very few and far between. So a couple of years ago, I gifted my curling team a few corn cob pipes and we smoked them together over a weekend during a bond spiel. Um, one of them has now take up pipe smoking as a hobby himself. And he bought a Brigham for his first Briar pipe. I was so proud of him. <laughs> um, pri prior to the COVID accommodations, we get together quite frequently and enjoy a pipe, a whiskey and a chat. And it's been so nice to have someone to share this hobby with. And it all started with that curling bond spill and a handful of cobs. So over the past few years, I've gifted a number of cobs now and have yet to capture the interest of anybody else other than my buddy Scott. So uh, my, my search for latent pipe smokers continues. So it sounds like uh, you could be the president of the club and he could be the vice president of the club and the two of you will start it and that'll be the foundation. That would be the foundation. That would be the start of it. Mo, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for uh, keeping pipe smoking alive in Canada. Brian, my pleasure. It's a lot of fun to be here. And we'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite, or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, you know, I am having a lot of fun with these uh, novice pipe smokers, but uh, I promise we'll, we'll get some regular guys back on again. I promise, maybe. I don't know, I'm having fun with them, so uh, meeting guys like Mo, I mean, how much fun is that? All right, for music inspired by Mo. And because I am a Rush fan, and Getty Lee was known to smoke a pipe. I don't know if he still does, but uh, Getty, if you're listening, yeah, happy to have you on the show anytime you want. Uh, this is from their from their uh, from their first album, and it's a song called "Take a Friend." And what I find interesting about it is that it's uh, for Rush. It's surprisingly guitar forward. And if you listen all the way to the end of it, you may hear a little precursor to, you know, maybe one of my uh, one of my favorite songs of later Rush in it. So here is Rush and Take a Friend.
Canada's own famous three-piece trio, Rush. You hear that uh, guitar piece at the end? What do you think that led to maybe somewhere two, three albums down the road? What's this? A letter for me. And remember, if you have a mailbag comment or question, you can email them to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com, or you can post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. Uh, and uh, speaking of Canada, Bruno from Canada writes me, uh, I hope you're well. Uh, then he says the new 8-ounce C&D tins, Cornell and Deal, uh, are problematic, at least in his humble opinion. There's no extra air at all within them. The tobacco is barely moving when shaking the tin. Not good for aging. Uh, by the way, thank, uh, many thanks for your great work and show. You are making the difference each week for a lot of people. Your contribution to our hobby way of life is greatly appreciated. All the best, Bruno in Canada. Bruno, thanks. And that, that brings up an, a, an interesting point that you made with the, uh, the tins of C&D not having any air in them. So when you start to age something or put it away for a while, you really should know, all right, is, is there enough air in that package? Uh, is it going to blow up on me? Because what happens over time with aging of a tin is the, it's going to expand and puff up. And you don't want to be sitting there one day and hear a pop in your uh, in your tobacco cellar, uh, because that means that you've got to now go and smoke all that right away. Uh, the worst thing is you could also not hear the pop and it could just start to leak. And then by the time you go to get it, it could be uh, <laughs> well, it could be dust. So what you want to do is know the product that you're aging. All right. Uh, I have an example here with some of the uh, Sutliff crumble cakes uh i'm worried that the that the tins aren't going to survive because of the topping or casing or the 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 uh, uh the vinegar stuff that they've put on it so as i'm going to get as these are going to get older i'm going to start to get worried about them so i've wrapped them in uh in saran wrap to help tie it down and seal them up as tight but if i get really worried about that uh, you know what I may do is just, you know, just simply bust open the cans and start putting it in mason jars. So like with that eight ounce tin of Cornell and Deal, because they do pack, I mean, they pack a lot of tobacco into that eight ounce tin. Uh, you know, you may want to buy the, buy the product if you're going to age it for any more than a couple of years, buy it and uh, put it in a glass jar and yeah, put it in two glass jars. Make sure there's a little bit of air in there if you're wanting to age it. If you're not wanting to age it, leave it alone, smoke it. Uh, but yeah, know the product that you are about to age and make sure that there is enough room in there. Uh, maybe one of the problems with uh, you know, some, of the, some of those older Dunhill tins where they would pack all the tobacco in and you'd, sometimes you'd have to get a little, uh, you'd have to use your poker or scraper to loosen up the top tobacco. Yeah, those tins got awfully tight. All right, going back to uh, last week's show, Dino writes another wonderful, another wonderful conversation with a new to the community pipe smoker. Uh, Ryan's insights, opinions, and enthusiasm for finding the best way to enjoy his pipes were quite refreshing, and kudos to him for choosing to serve his community. Uh, I'm so glad someone suggested coyotes and that you shared it with your listeners. This is an absolutely stunning and beautiful piece of Americana. I think Americana was the word I was looking for and couldn't come up with, but it's great storytelling. Uh, and then Dino goes on to say, Brian, your rant proposal is a truly great idea. Yikes. I never thought I would connect the words Brian and great idea in the same sentence, but strange things happen on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, thanks for always entertaining, informing, and surprising me, Dino. Well, Dino, you have finally come to see the light. I have many, many great ideas. Most of them are way, uh, you know, way before their time or impossible to do. But yeah. All right. Thanks, Dino. Uh, New Broom says, uh, the kind of pipe maker I like to think of is the one who does it for the love of art and for the hunt for harmony without any monetary or critical concern. I mean, other than that someone that some convention is achieved. Uh, I'm not sure I could name one, but that's how it would be if I made them. Uh, and that's kind of interesting that Newbroom said that because I find that in, uh, 
in the in the part-time pipe makers the ones who are doing this as a part-time job uh you know they're less money motivated and they're more doing it as a release from their full-time activity and therefore you know maybe a little more uh, passion and less business side to it uh but yeah talk to a pipe maker and get them excited on an idea and uh watch that passion flow and then Casey Ghost says, a nice show with a personable newbie. I got a good laugh out of all the mistakes he made when getting started. Of course, these were the same mistakes I made at the same time in my pipe journey. Ah, the good old days when times were bad. Yeah, yeah, the good old days. Uh, you know, like, the, like I'd like to go back to uh, 1989 at Walt Disney World and get that corncob pipe that I bought out of the trash can of the hotel and you know, possibly, uh, learn how to smoke that, uh, or maybe go back to, uh, that, uh, go back to that Dunhill that I was given in Las Vegas and, uh, actually learn how to pack and smoke it correctly before I got rid of it. All right. Again, comments, questions, email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com. If you are thinking of traveling anywhere and need some advice or just want an opinion on it, reach out to me. I'm still happy to help you with that. And uh, JDRF Auctions, I am getting ready to pack stuff up and send it off to Steve this week as it looks like he's got his uh, site back up and going. So you can go back and check on pipestud.com. And in the mailbag, let's do this as well. We will announce the new Doctor of Pipes winners. I had been, uh, you know, I I'd just forgotten to announce it because usually it happens at the Chicago Pipe Show and there wasn't a Chicago Pipe Show. So... We'll go back and uh, we'll make sure you know that last year for 2020 was Sykes Wilford and uh, Jeff Knoll, Jeff of the NASPC and the Pipe Collector, which you all should be a member of. And it's 10 bucks a year for the email version. So get that. Uh, this year's winners are Mark Irwin, who uh, basically wrote the book on Peterson. We've had him on the show a couple times. And the one and only pipe stud, Steve Fallon. So now Steve's wife doesn't have to come and fondle my pipe stud, my uh, Doctor of Pipes medallion. Uh, the Master of Pipes this year, Shane Ireland of SmokingPipes.com. So there you go. All right, rant time coming up next. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. I've been in a bit of a funk. Yeah, I've been in a bit of a funk the past couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I've talked about how busy the last, uh, the end of April, early May was. But uh, I've been in a bit of a funk because of a situation that I'm about to tell you about. And I'm going to tell you about it so that, one, you can learn how to not do it. And, two, how to handle it if you get stuck in it. Uh, and none of the names matter because it won't mean anything to anybody except me and I don't and I know the names so we'll just leave all the names out of it except for me I've been working on a project since uh, last uh, September October working on a project that I thought was going to be something interesting and it's been a project that I've had in the back of my mind for you know about 10 years and I thought well now is the time to work on it right I ended the uh, travel agency thing and I thought well this would be a good time so I started reaching out to a couple companies and I hooked up with one right away that really liked the idea and really jumped on board with me and we plotted and planned and we were working on the project and we were working on it and then when it came time to actually launch the product they made a u-turn at the last minute completely unknowing to me and unexpected and i just had to sit there and tell them no it's either this way or i'm done and they decided that they're going to go their own way with a variation of my idea so here's my advice uh one you know it doesn't it's it's not going to hurt me financially either way my life will go on with or without this project but I'm reminding myself that 
my idea is not dead because they're not doing my idea and they may pave the road for my idea down the road by doing it half-assed the, their way. And two, if you're a company and you've got a problem, let people know because I'm just pretty sure that some problems showed up and they didn't want to tell me what the problems were. And they just decided that they were going to try to do this on the cheap. So there you go. Anyway, it got me into a bit of a funk for a couple of weeks. Uh, got me out of my normal. Plus, I had all that, uh, you know, plus I had all the the uh, chaos of uh, weddings and graduations and Mother's Day and people coming and going. And uh, you know what? Now I'm uh, out of the funk. I'm out of the funk and ready to ready to trudge on. So there you go. All right, uh, thank you very much to Mo for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy Miss Dion, Miss Celine Dion, you saucy Canadian.